So that's the reason why we are developing this technology. Because eventually, if people will care more and more about their financial situation and they want to directly manage their financial situation, and there will be so many tokens, and there will be tokenized equities, and so on, we will see a boom in interest in accessing directly markets. And again, all the technologies that we have today, I believe that are not sufficient. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Encrypted Podcast. Encrypted is the Middle East's largest podcast dedicated to blockchain, crypto, and the fintech ecosystem. I'm your host, Ahmed Al-Balaghi. Today, I'm super excited about this episode. Joining us is Paolo Arduino, who is the CTO of Bitfinex and Teller. In this episode, we cover the future of centralized exchanges versus decentralized exchanges, the different types of stablecoins out there in the market, Tether's recent lawsuit with the Attorney General in New York and how they're handling the case. We also discussed the future of Tether and so much more on this podcast. Now, before we start, I want to give a shout out to our sponsor who is actually not related to Bitfinex at all. They are called Blockfinex and they are a new and upcoming global cryptocurrency exchange where you could trade your cryptos in seconds. And they have one of the fastest matching engines in the space and now are ramping up their liquidity so that you could trade your favorite cryptocurrencies quickly and seamlessly. And now Blockfinex are offering the most competitive trading fees compared to industry leading competitors, as well as a quick onboarding process for its early users. So they're launching very soon and you could find them at blockfinex.com. Also, I'd really like to thank those who have been supporting the show. And remember, you can support us in any way possible. You can subscribe, rate and review the show, share the podcast on your social media and any other way you feel like supporting. And now on to the show. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Encrypted. Encrypted is the Middle East's largest podcast dedicated to blockchain, crypto assets and fintech. I'm your host, Ahmed Belari. And today we have an amazing episode where we're talking with the CTO of Tether. And before I go on and introduce him, I want to quickly bring in my co-host, Nick Watson. Say hello. Hey, guys. Good to see you again. Looking forward to this doing? episode. Yeah, yeah. Very good. Enjoying Dubai right now. Yeah, probably the only place that's open in the, in the, <laughs> right in the world. At the moment it is, yeah, for sure. Mm. Lucky. I actually had an amazing staycation last month there. But yeah, anyways, um, we'll get into that later. Wanted to introduce Paolo Arduino. Hopefully I said your surname right. Say hello, Paolo. Hey, hello, everyone. Thanks for having me, Ahmed and Nick. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Thank you very much. Thank you for inviting me on your podcast. Well, it's great having you. It would be great for, for you to quickly introduce yourself for those who don't know you. Yes, sure. So I'm Paolo Arduino. Uh, you pronounce my surname perfectly. Hey. I, <laughs> I am the CTO of Bitfinex and CTO of Tether. So two great companies of our crypto industry. So I joined, well, started reading about Bitcoin in 2013, then entered in Bitfinex as first as a freelancer in 2015, became CTO in 2016, and then became CTO of Tether in 2017. So my main role is coding the trading engine for Bitfinex and ensuring 
high-performance APIs and coordinating and managing our great development team on the Bitfinex side. And then on Tether side, ensuring security of all the implementations that Tether has on the different blockchains. All right. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for, for that introduction. And I guess let, let's get straight into it. We want to cover a couple of things in this episode, generally exchanges, stable coins, and also DeFi, which is becoming super hot in the past couple months. And so, I mean, really in terms of like, I really want to start off with sort of the vision and the, the belief that you guys have it in where, you know, this industry will be going and where you guys as, as Bitfinex as well will be going in, you know, in the next coming years. And so, yeah, it would be great to hear that. Sure. So on the Bitfinex side, you know, we started as um, a centralized exchange. We actually still are. And Bitfinex started in 2012. Today, Bitfinex has grew really impressive trading system, really impressive technology behind the scenes, super performing trading engine, and it's extremely scalable or also during windy days. So over the last eight years of development, the platform became from being sort of not a e-commerce for of Bitcoins or really just a simple amatorial website to be a trading platform that can compete with the traditional financial trading platforms. So this evolution was required by the impressive interest that Bitcoin and all the cryptocurrencies developed over the last few years. So with more customer demand, with more users subscribing to the platform, we had to step up our game, step up our resources, find and go into the same technological challenges that major main street exchanges have implemented over the past 20, 30 years. Where we are going is a really good question. We, I think that there will be a bit of dichotomy in terms of centralized versus decentralized exchanges. And many, many people are asking me this question. As said, Bitfinex is decentralized, but over time, we experimented with many features that allow us to offer semi-decentralized trading tools. We started experimenting first with Athenex that now is called Diversify and has a separate team and offer on-chain custody while trading through a centralized matching engine of chain custody on Ethereum. And now recently implemented ZK rollups in order to improve and speed up the transaction segment on Ethereum network but still use a centralized matching engine. Then we started also another project called EOSFINEX that started as a fully on-chain decentralized matching engine. So everything was from the order book to the trade settlement to balances were all on-chain on the EOS network. Then for, for different reasons, we decided that was really not good enough for our standards. So we decided to move Eosfinex to be a still and hybrid solution with being non-custodial. So having the non-custodial wallet part, but still the centralized matching engine so that we could offer the same liquidity, the same performance that our platform is known for 
while maintaining and allowing the customer to maintain the ownership and the control over their funds. Yeah, I was just saying, just jumping in. So when it comes to the vision and the belief of where exchanges are moving, you're obviously moving from central to decentralized and then back again and trying to figure out, let's say, hybrid ground, right? Do you have a vision of how much time it's going to take to build a decentralized exchange that meets your criteria of what a good product really is? This is an excellent question. I have to access this um, this task, and this is probably the most exciting task of my career. I have a clear idea of how to build a fully decentralized exchange that is actually unstoppable. We are actually working on it. We are working on it behind the scenes as let's say a part-time job in in our company, we are developing technology, all the technologies that will allow us to build it. You might know that we recently released Dazar, that is a peer-to-peer protocol that is based on a Merkle log and is based on the same constructs of BitTorrent. So that is fully peer-to-peer, works behind firewalls, is extremely fast, allow multiple protocols like UDP and TCP and so on and also has all the guarantees of ability of verifying the, the streams through the Merkle log. So PLUS have an agnostic payment layer that allows you to hook into Lightning Network, uh, Bitcoin Layer 1, Liquid, Ethereum, EOS, EOS token, Ethereum token, Strong, whatever you want. Now, we are building all these technologies behind the scenes, well, and not uh, then publishing them, because in the, our end goal is to build a extremely performant network of micro exchanges that in the end will serve the entire need of matching and segments that you know our industry and outside of our industry we might need. I, I'm also a believer that a blockchain cannot be good enough ever to fulfill the centralized exchange that will serve tens of millions or hundreds of million people. You need to have something like what was BitTorrent. You need something that is scalable, use the block that uses all the blockchain only for settlement, that can work behind firewalls, that can run on a Raspberry Pi, and that everyone can run from home. That is the term that, that is the meaning of unstoppable. That is, I believe, the core of our industry. How far do you think you are from that? We are not really far. I mean, the, the point is that we have, well, the industry has to be ready and also we are watching regulations. And there is a good reason for this. Another point of um, DAXIS is that people think that DAXIS are immune to regulations. And that is not our understanding. So again, I love DAXIS and, and this is, really one of the <laughs> most important parts of my work. But the the problem with DEX is the way they are today, so the ones that are being used today on Ethereum and on, on the, main, the other main chains, will have the same constraints of centralized exchanges. Keep in mind that eventually KYC AML procedures will come to DEXIS because there is no way that a regulator will allow a random guy to provide liquidity on a DAX to someone else 
that might launder money or they might fund illicit operations across the world with that. So if you are providing liquidity, eventually regulators might point the finger to you saying, okay, you are part of this and you facilitate the exchange. So my understanding from our talk with our compliance officers and with uh, all our legal teams and so on, because we are relying on legal teams across the world, this is something that will likely happen because regulators, of course, started from centralized exchanges because they were the big customer entry points. And mm-hmm. then now that the DAXs are, are growing, then they will start looking into it. I'm not saying that will happen in six months or one year or so, or maybe it will never happen, but this is what I'm hearing. And I believe that there is a big misconception that exchanges, DAXs will be, the current DAXs will be completely immune to regulations because I believe it's not. The way we are designing our DAX, and that also is the tricky part, is that it's not blockchain enabled, it's completely using, you know, is is like the BitTorrent of DAXs. And that's something that is that can go wild, that can go really to be really unstoppable. And that is something that as um, a big company we are working on, but also we need to be 100% sure that we do the right steps before releasing it. So if you're going the BitTorrent route, are you going to anchor the platform to a location so it has like a legal connection to it or it's going to be completely self-sufficient once it's out there. That's the thing, right? So we are developing the technology and we don't pretend or we don't, are not interested to make money on it. And that's most of its power. So in general, when all the products that we are seeing today are meant to make money to someone, and that is another problem with taxes. Now, if instead you create a technology as, as the torrent that is meant to be open, to be free. Everyone can take it, it's source code, and run it. In Everyone can run their own small exchange in their own town to serve their own community. And then these exchanges might, might or might not talk to each other. I would say that the better description probably is Lightning Network. As you know, you can see that Lightning Network can, you can create multiple Lightning Network networks, multiple hubs that they may or may not talk to each other. And then there are some other nodes that can route messages across all these hubs. So you can see basically it's like a mesh network plus mm. a, or mix of between a mesh network and a fractal. Just a, I mean, a quick question. There's something I had when once you said unstoppable, right? So you you mentioned what when it comes to creating something that's unstoppable. I mean, we are seeing some applications on Ethereum that seem to be unstoppable, like Uniswap, for example, you have Curve. These are some really interesting applications that are completely run on smart contracts and are accessible by anyone with a wallet. So I wanted to sort of see what you, like, what do you think of those platforms when it comes to sort of the concept of not being able to be being taken down? So that that's a good, really good question. So I don't want to do exact name, say exact names, but so I see a few problems in the current DAXs. One is the fact that some of these DAXs have a team that will get a rebate of all the trading activity that uh, that happens, and maybe part of these teams have 
found a bunch of tokens that, that they will appreciate over time. So it's, again, most of the DEXs are made to make money to someone, a specific group of people, maybe small or maybe broad. But that is the success of technologies that are truly unstoppable like BitTorrent is because no one was making money on it, because that is the only way that it can be unstoppable. People can make money, you know, in, in our case, my suggestion, my vision, people can run their own exchanges, time exchanges on their Raspberry Pis, they can charge some fees, they can settle transactions, they can route messages, and so on. It's like more an infrastructural part rather than being a service. So it's more like building an infrastructure to perform matching in a completely distributed way, but not having a single smart contract. Because Lexis today have one single smart contract, or you can pinpoint that smart contract to someone that uh, releases it, right? Even if a group of people that release it on Ethereum. And still, again, there is it's different from having one code that can be run on 100 different machines or 1,000 different machines or 1 million different machines. You can say that Ethereum is a blockchain, so the smart contract actually is run on multiple machines, but still is deployed by one single group. And there is a token that is held by a restricted group of people, smaller or bigger than this, that group it is. So, I mean, I'm not saying that they are failing. I'm saying that likely all the exchanges, all the DAXs should implement KYC AML support in the near future, because that's something that likely will be coming. You just mentioned KYC and AML. So let's say you build this core BitTorrent equivalent technology that allows for people to just launch an exchange and then interoperate. Are you building in identification communication between each of these? And then assuming that is the case, when you move to leverage this technology yourself, which I'm assuming you will be, you'll be trying to consolidate all the micro exchanges using this technology out there. And then they can all interoperate, swap tokens, sell between each other. And there's just an inherent trust network between them. And that you only let people onto your network when you know that they've KYC'd some more properly. <laughs> you are making me spoiler more than I, I plan to. But that's basically definitely part of our vision. So I believe that uh, you know we are seeing many projects that are focusing on decentralized IDs. So you have these basically, you, you get a certificate issued by an organization, and that certificate can be validated and co-signed by other organizations to strengthen its value. So one solution that could happen is that whomever runs our version of this, well, our, our tiny Raspberry-based matching engine, they can decide to accept transactions that are signed by an ID that has been vetted by one organization that the network trusts. And when I say can or may or may not accept transactions from, from valid IDs, means that everyone is free to do whatever they want. Uh, they can run these attacks accepting or allowing unverified customers or only verified customers through this decentralized ID. So we are building a technology and we are building it for you know to be free as in freedom. 
then everyone can take it. And for sure, the version that we are implementing and we are going to support is, is going to be to allow only aggregating data through verified people. It reminds me of, and I'm pretty sure it was the case, Bitfinex was providing a lot of liquidity to startup exchanges in the past, right? Um, yes. And I think that was that enabled some organizations, I think Bit Oasis and a couple of others, to become who they became because you were sort of like the backbone to some of that liquidity and trading and opportunity. So it sounds more like the same thing, but more towards the technology side and not just liquidity now. Correct. Yes, it's a way to bring our matching engine that is pretty renowned and have it, everyone to be able to use it from a Raspberry Pi to you know a Cray server. Or, and mm. uh, everyone can build their own liquidity network. And all the protocols, all the networking protocols are there. And two other problems of that is are, one, that if they are blockchain-based, eventually you have to increase the fees. We are seeing that on Ethereum-based taxis that are pretty unusable when the gas spikes to 400, 500 gig away, or even 150, the cost of a swap is incredibly, incredibly high. And even blockchains that claim to have a much higher throughput than Ethereum can reach maybe 50,000 transactions per second, 100,000 transactions per second. But imagine if you have to handle 10 million, 50 million users on it, you will end up in paying more and more fees. If you're just moving or pushing away a little bit the threshold for when the fees will become unbearable. So using a blockchain as the main data layer for building a DEX, in my opinion, is not the correct approach. You have to build a data layer that does not have any token and is based on a simple TCP IP plus maybe a Merkle log as we did, or there are different ways you can do that. But then on top of it, then you can apply a payment layer or multiple payment layers. In our Dazar implementation, a payment layer is just a stub or an interface, a code interface, and you can implement whatever you want. As said, Lightning Network, you know, Polkadot, Ethereum, whatever, right? So that's how it should be. We should not try to push everyone to use one single technology. We should use a mesh of technologies so that when there is higher demand, people can switch from one to another. So how do you see all this affecting Let's talk about the real professional institutional industry. So there's quite a large adoption now in that space of the crypto environment. Are you seeing quite an aggressive encroachment from that industry into the exchanges and then, I guess, into the future decentralized exchanges, especially with bots and arbitrage and just general high-grade professional trading? Yes. So just so to give you some statistics, in current days, Bitfinex handles more than between 600 and 800 million order events. In busy days, it can go up from two times or 10 times. So these are order events. Is, you know, insert an order, cancel an order, update it 10 times, trying mm -hmm. to you know, move it near or far from the current ticker. So traders are spoiled. Traders really spoil. They, they pretend that they send 1,000 orders in a second and they all get confirmed in the same second. The fact is that you have hundreds or thousands of traders. So if each one of them does the same thing, has the same expectations, 
either you start to throttle them or you have to go to a technology that is a bit more sharp, is a bit more, is definitely more scalable. So centralized exchanges are eventually are will have a limit, definitely. Because if you think about it, Nasdaq doesn't have one trillion customers. Well, doesn't have, you know, 50 million customers. They have few customers, and behind that, these few customers, there are a lot of different customers that then can either use a second layer of trading solutions and use, and the matching not always happen on NASDAQ. So there is no exchange, even on the main street, that can handle tens of millions of directly connected people to them, or hundreds of millions. So that's the reason why we are developing this technology. Because eventually, if people will care more and more about their financial situation and they want to directly manage their financial situation, and there will be so many tokens, and there will be tokenized equities, and so on, we will see a boom in interest in accessing directly markets. And again, all the technologies that we have today, I believe that are not sufficient. Before we move on, here's a quick word from our sponsor, Blockfinex. Blockfinex is a global cryptocurrency exchange where you can trade your cryptocurrencies in lightning fast speed. With Blockfinex, you trade with low fees compared to other exchanges. They have one of the fastest matching engines in the space with massive market leading liquidity, so you can quickly and easily trade your favorite coins in seconds. Do make sure you pre-register before they launch for exclusive offers. You can find them at blockfinex.com. Yeah, I wanted to go on to the next topic due to the interest of time, but was there anything else you wanted to, to ask, Nick? Yeah, no, it's just, I like the fact that you just don't think today's technology can scale on a global basis and that decentralized is the way to go to get there anyway. You just can't maintain centralization if you're going to, to decentralize access to uh, capital. So that's good. All right, cool. Awesome. I really like that breakdown, by the way. And I, I mean, due to the interest of time, just wanted to go on to, to the next topic we want to talk about, which is stablecoins. And really wanted to see the positioning of, of Tether from your personal point of view, actually, of how Tether is perceived in the market, you know, given all the allegations that there are. And also, you know, touching upon on the, the general stablecoin market as well, which is super interesting and it's growing at an amazing rate as well. So, yeah, I would love to, to hear more about that. Sure. So, starting from the general stablecoin point of view, I think that it's clear that the technology, the idea, is great. We are seeing traditionally backed stablecoins like Tether, USDC, and so on. We are seeing algorithmic but still asset-based stablecoins like DAI. And we are seeing fully algorithmic stablecoins like Amplifort or a few others that are becoming quite popular in this space. So the market is really the, the competition for stablecoins is just the beginning. There will be different approaches. There will be a more, I believe, there will be a competition to get to the most perfect algorithmic stablecoin. I kind of believe in this moment is, is an holy grail and is not really easy to, to develop for different reasons. But that would be, of course, the best outcome, the best type of stable coin to have something that is uh, completely algorithmic that uh, can 
adjust to the market demand and so on, and still maintain great usability. One problem of the current uh, algorithmic stable coins, I'm not sure if, if you are familiar, but they they tend to change the supply on chain and they tend on chain and they tend to adjust the wallet balances of the users on on chain sorry i was just about to say that was yeah it's a, it's a weird concept the rebasing i believe it's called or something else but yeah i i've i've seen those around yeah and you know it's a weird concept for sure but it's also a really smart concept and the the only problem that it has is the, the user experience that is quite terrible in general. Mm-hmm. So imagine that you are a, a trader and you, you know you are a random guy and you have a wallet and you have you know ten dollar worth of these stable coins or well 10, 10 coins of this stable coin in your wallet. Then tomorrow they will become eleven and in one week they will become five because the price went up. So they have to had to adjust down in order to maintain the peg with the dollar. Mm-hmm. And then you, you are scratching your head and saying, what the hell, what's going on in my wallet? Why I, I keep seeing a change in number? And imagine now you are a centralized exchange and then the numbers on chain will keep varying. So you have to adjust atomically in your machine engine memory every night or 10 times per day. You have to do an adjusted weight, a weighted adjusted update to all your users that are holding that stablecoin in order to reflect exactly what's on chain. And on DEXs, probably it's a bit easier to manage, but imagine that now you want to wrap that stablecoin to bring it to another blockchain, then you have, the wrapper has to adjust as well. And on the basically child chain, you have to adjust the issuance as well. So it's really, from the user experience point of view, is really a mess. Although I really like the concept, so full disclosure and Tether, we are we are thinking a lot about this. I was going to say, what what is your plan then? <laughs> That's a it? good question. Well, I'm sitting on the side of, of the river and I'm watching what, what, what's happening. Of course, we are happy to fund projects that have a great idea on building a good algorithmic stablecoin. With Tether, we believe that we should fund the new technologies. Of course, we are also doing a lot of research internally to, to find out what, what makes sense. But what makes sense also has to be really simple from the user's perspective. Because yeah. stable coins are really good in general to bring people that are not familiar with crypto into to use crypto-based technologies. So I can bring my father and say, okay, instead of having this you know, $10 or 10 euros bill, you can have you know these 10 euros as a euro tether on your mobile phone. And that's the same value. He, he doesn't feel richer or poorer. But then if I give him something that in absolute number of the number of coins he has in a wallet keep changes every day, he will call me day and night because he will not understand and will make my, my life a nightmare. So that's it, right? So stable coins should be the easy bridge for the next 500 million people in the crypto space, so they have to be simple. We cannot make them too complex. Absolutely. Yeah, I totally agree. So I, on a side note, Paolo, I work a lot on meta transactions and relays. So we are fully on fulfilling this, you know, amazing UX 
for, for crypto. So I, I definitely agree with you there. So I'm really interested to, to hear a bit more about in terms of where you guys are at Tether and the position that you guys have in the industry. Of course, you know, we're I'm on a lot of these crypto groups and there are different opinions going around about the viability of USDT and, and its future. You guys had a deadline on by the 15th of January, which was a couple of days ago, correct? From the Attorney General in the US, in New York, sorry. And you guys, I, I saw on your, on your Twitter, you gave around two and a half million documents, something like that, right? Like the first interaction till, till then. Like, what's up with that? <laughs> I mean, I don't know how much you could share, but it would be great to... Please you tell know. me you printed it all out. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, that, that's so I cannot share too much, but what I can share is this. The 15th came and went, and as we announced a few days before in the Peter McCormack podcast, yeah. after the 15th, there would have been business as usual. So we are working with regulators, we are working with AG, we are producing and we produce the documents that they're required. So I think that we are proceeding with really good discussions and we are proving once again that there is nothing to hide on our side. I understand and I know that there are plenty of discussions or on open groups and you know closed groups about uh, Tether and different yeah different opinions. One thing that Sue Ogner our general counsel in the Peter McCormick interview said I believe is quite um undervalued quote and undervalued point, but it's really, really important. When I said we produce millions of pages, we really produce a lot of documentation to the AG. And in general, we produce a lot of documentation to regulators to explain how we work, to show how the, the entire process is and so on. There is, there is really nothing, because there is nothing to hide. And while we are so much under this microscope, the real question is, does anyone think that if we weren't backed, if we couldn't demonstrate that we could be 100% backed by, by reserves, we would still be still operating? So that's the first point that I want to make everyone and also, and after he has to really explain that really well, I'm really carrying it on because it's, yeah. it's really important. Yeah. And I'm going to ask a question and I'll say why I'm asking this question. And if you can't answer the question, you can say you can't answer it. So basically, if we look at banks, we all know they do fractional reserve banking, right? There's lots of exchanges out there in the crypto ecosystem who do so much fractional reserve. It's, you know, there's absolutely no transparency in, in what's going on, right? And for you guys, you definitely say there are 100% reserves. You've came out and admitted that 74% or whatever the figure is, right, is backed by USD and then, of course, other equivalents, okay? I'm just interested, right, like personally, how are these reserves handled? Are they in terms of like, are they stored in different bank accounts across the world? Are they stored in different types of, of assets which are custodied by, you know, other entities? I'm more interested in, in sort of how you guys have handled the management of the reserves. And you admitted you guys even included Bitcoin as well at one point. You know, if you wanted to include another asset, right? Is there a process to that? You see? Sure. And the reason why I'm asking all of this is because you guys are, I would say, I mean, for 
as long as there are 100% reserves, then that's amazing, right? Because we know much of the world does not operate on 100% reserves. So it's just more so, all right, great, there's 100% reserves, but what, how is it handled? That's what I'm interested in. Sure, I can share what I can share. So yeah. first of all, saying that we are 100% backed means that we are not doing fractional reserve. So that, mm-hmm. that is, is pretty important. So all the, the reserves are managed directly by the Tether team. So it's not that we are giving funds to some other com- random company to manage those. So okay. we are always on top of the, the investments we make. So given the size of, of Tether, that is uh, 24.5 billion, we have cash, cash equivalents. So, you know, maybe treasuries and things like that. So there is no point to take any big risk in investment. So the Tether investment team is is super cautious. It comes from a super professional background. They work among the biggest hedge funds around the world and so on. The structure is really well done and it's it's extremely solid and is aware of the importance of maintaining 100% reserves. Is there an explanation on if it's all in US dollars or it's in other currencies or other asset forms other than US denominated assets? So we we disclose that uh, we have cash equivalents and we have the outstanding loan between Bitfinex and Tether. And that's what I can say today. But also as Stu Ogner announced in the Peter McCormick podcast, mm-hmm. We, in 2021, we are likely providing an asset allocation. So we will show how the assets are actually located so that we we are pushing towards an increased transparency. Awesome. Is it it primarily out of uh, pressure to do so or also something you would position as a way you want to move your, your business as a whole because it is becoming a behemoth? I would say that is more a natural step that we are taking. Also, people in the past said that they would love to see a bit more openness from Tether. And we we recently step up our PR marketing game. We want to be transparent. We, of course, there is a limit for the moment until the cases are resolved or how much we can be transparent or how much we can say publicly. But it's important, I believe, in the, to, in the future to, to show everything that we can in order to make people more and more comfortable. Of course, mm-hmm. we know that there will be always trolls. So there will be always FUD because the more you grow and the more competition there will be, the big guy will take the biggest hits, right? So we are living with that. We are living with that weight on our shoulders and we expect that. So that is the price of a little bit of the price of the success. But also, I'd like to remind that today, uh, governments are talking about stable coins based on chain, blockchain-based stable coins. And this entire thing that governments and the big banks in the world are talking about has been invented by a couple of guys in 2014 that created Tether. So, sure, you can say you guys should be a bit more transparent, you guys should be more open, you should talk more, and you you should answer this and that, fine. We are working on that, we will do that. Bottom line is that this entire stablecoin space was created by this group of people 
that provided a big service, I believe, to the entire crypto and non-crypto industry. So there is a too little credit, in my opinion, given to that. And I think that we will push a lot on, on, on this recognition in the future because I believe it's key. We are seeing a lot of copycats that, you know, they just jumped in into the stablecoin space to, to milk the cow. There are plenty of examples. While really Tether was born to serve the crypto industry, to solve an actual problem, today everyone thinks, well, stablecoins are obvious. Well, everyone could have thought that, but no one did, right? So we have been servicing the crypto industry for a long time, and we will plan to continue to do so for, for <laughs> as much as we can. <laughs> cool. Yeah, I made a sorry. So, I mean, right now you guys are deployed across, I'm seeing around seven blockchains, right? And I'm really interested in seeing where you guys think about layer two and if you guys will be issuing anything on, on layer two anytime soon. Because now we're seeing, I, I'd say, a bit more volume, a bit more um, activity there, which we didn't see last year, beginning of last year at all. And I guess that even goes to the broader question of how do you guys analyze, okay, we will issue stable coins on this chain, for example. So yeah, interested to hear more about that. All right, sure. So that is actually one of my preferred topics. So I'm a big fan of, of layer two solutions. So as you might know, Tether worked with Omai's Go in the past to make sure that um, Tether, well, could be issued or could run on, on Omai's Go. And Bitfinex added the support to withdraw Tether on by Omai's Go. We recently committed to one project and we are exploring other projects that is a ZK Lab solution. That is, the project is called Hermits. Now we are going, we know that there are many other ZK Lab solutions and we are looking to them. So I know that there is Loopring and, and many others, right? So we are actually investing a lot of time in layer two solutions for, for Ethereum and not just Ethereum. The reason is that I know that Tether is one of the biggest consumer of Ethereum layer one. If you look at ETH gas station, you can see that Tether is uh, probably one, uh, always the first or the second token that consumes more, more of the throughput of Ethereum. Now, we, we want to do our job, but we want to do our part in making sure that we can reduce the pressure, that Tether can reduce the help to reduce the pressure on layer one. So, yeah, as said, we looked into Omaisgo uh, last year. We recently announced support to Hermits. But keep in mind that uh, any layer two project, like you know, any other roll-up solution, really can use Tether, can implement Tether support without Tether involvement because they are a wrapper on top of layer one. So our Tether is uh, USDT is already issued on Ethereum. So the reason why we got involvement with Omaisgo, with the Hermits and so on, and in future for sure many others, is just we want to make sure that everything works as expected and we want to share our knowledge on the use cases that our customers want to make sure that everything works as expected. But uh, that does not stop any other ZK lab to start in parallel and start supporting Tether right away. 
still on the layer two part, we, well, I'm a, you know, you might have understood this at this point, but I'm a big fan of Lightning Network. So as uh, Tether and Bitfinex, we funded two projects. One is called RGB and another one is called Omnibolt. They both aim to use the same, say, routing technology that Lightning Network has, but to allow you to issue, redeem, and do transfers for any type of asset, any type of digital asset. So, yeah, to summarize, Layer 2 is is really important, especially for the end project we discussed at the beginning of this interview. So we are spending a lot of energies on that. And when it comes, you also ask about how we choose the next blockchain that we want to support. Really, there are two two sides to the story. One is business and the other one is technical. Business is pretty simple. Does the blockchain have an important community? Because of course, if you go to the length of issuing your stable coin on a certain blockchain, then you you don't want to throw a rock in, in the water. You want to make sure that there is a big enough community that will benefit from it. So that is the first discriminator. The second one is technology. So we acquire a strong multi-sig support for issuances and redemptions and all the operations that Tether has to do, and hardware wallet support for these operations. And of course, we request an audit of the blockchain layer itself and an audit for the token issuance layer or framework. So these are the technical requirements. So it's, I would say it's pretty simple, our thought process. Interesting. I was very much surprised when I saw Tron being one of the <laughs> one of the blockchains, but I guess we don't want to get into that. <laughs> Great. I mean, from my side, I Nick, do you, do you have any other questions before we wrap things up? What about DeFi? We haven't even got into that yet. Like, we must have five minutes on that. So DeFi definitely interesting. Has to be carefully watched. There are really high-end projects in DeFi that are supporting Tether uh, or we love that they are in process of supporting Tether and so on. There are also a lot of people who got burned on some other DeFi projects. So sometimes we have seen in 2020 the rush to invest and trying to monetize on the new newest DeFi project that didn't have a proper audit, didn't have enough credibility causing loss of millions and millions of dollars to to many people in in our industry. So DeFi is is great. I believe that there are many interesting projects, but also I would urge anyone that is interested in playing with it to be extremely careful in engaging with uh, the next new cool DeFi project. So do your own research, ensure that there is a proper audit from an accredited auditing firm software audit for an accredited software auditing firm and so on. So definitely excited by DeFi, but also a bit careful. Fine. Sounds good to me. That that just shows how early we are when people have to look at the contract, uh, the smart contract auditing firm to see if it's a, a legit project or not, because I don't think any layman would, would ever do that, nor would they ever sort of go near anything like that. Um, exactly. well, and if, if well, we can add something on, on that, yeah. just an interesting note, <laughs> Tether really saved 
tens of millions of dollars this uh, well last year due to DeFi projects that were piling up a lot of money and they were out and Tether was calling to help in trying to recover part of the funds. So this is a really important when, while Tether has the ability to help people and we, we try as much as we can to help people that maybe have lost their life savings and so on. Is I want to reiterate how much is important to be extremely careful. And on the other side, Tether, well, if we count DeFi users that lost money and hacked exchanges and helped hacked customers and so on, we, we probably saved more than $50, $60 million last year to people. So I believe that wow. we are the good guys in town. So if I, if I ever lose my keys and it had USDT in them, I'll just give you a call, Paolo, and just say, hey, man, <laughs> could you just reissue those USDT? <laughs> Well, that's the tricky thing. I was I, I that is the case that won't help you. I'm sorry to be an ass, but um, uh, there is well, you know, because then I cannot ever have the certainty that you lost your keys. So there is the ways when we help people is because they send funds to a smart contract that is provable that they, the funds cannot be transferred out. Or if there is a law enforcement request that proves that the person was subject to an act. So, uh, sorry to to okay. No, no, the second your option, but, uh, the, second, the second way is more achievable. Then. <laughs> yes, <laughs> I, I I didn't mean to be rude, but I just want to. No, no, no. It's millennial. It's a millennial approach. <laughs> okay, so Paolo, we we usually close with the question: If Bitcoin or Ethereum were hanging off a cliff, which one would you choose, and why? For me, the answer is, is pretty simple. I would save uh, always Bitcoin. Bitcoin created this space. Bitcoin has, I, I believe, the ability to provide financial services while maintaining as a base layer an extreme simplicity. You can build complex things like like a network on top of it and is definitely something that uh, today I see unstoppable. So definitely Bitcoin. Although I respect Ethereum, we spend a lot of energies as a company and speak finance on Ethereum. Ethereum is the main layer for, the most popular layer for Tether. So if I had to choose between one of them, I would choose Bitcoin. Great. And a harder question, because you act as a CTO of both Bitfinex and Tether, if they were both hanging off a cliff, which one would you? <laughs> <Which> one would <laughs> oh, you're really pushing it. <laughs> Because the, the previous question was easy for you. I, I probably I will will jump myself and save both and let someone else <laughs> save both of them. <laughs> Good answer. Good one. Cool. All right. Thank uh, you very much, Paolo. It has been a pleasure. Thank you very much, guys. It's great to have you on. Really? Oh, and, and if people Thanks. want to reach out to you, what's the best way for them to reach out to you? I know you got two LinkedIn accounts. Well, no, I'm probably not using really LinkedIn anymore. So on Telegram or I would say Twitter, you just drop a message. I will send you a PM. Perfect. Great. Great. Anything else? That's all. Thanks a lot, Paolo. Thank you. Thank you, Ahmed. Thank you, Nick. Cheers. Thanks, Paolo.